Lord God, we thank you again for bringing us here this morning and for this opportunity to study your word. God, we want to make the most of it. So help us, Lord, today. Clear our minds, God. Help us to put our attention upon you. Not wander here, but really turn our hearts to you and to what you want to say to us through your word. I pray, God, through your Holy Spirit that you would speak, God. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And, Lord, all in all, we want you. The goal is God, Lord. The goal is you, Jesus. And we just want more of you. We want to be transformed. We want to be freed and healed. And we want to, Lord, we want to experience you more in our lives and get closer to you. So we ask for your touch this morning, for your anointing by your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, well, losing your job can be a very devastating experience, but it can open up some new opportunities. If you ever lose your job or career, I came across some interesting employment options that you may never have thought of. Listen to this. First thing I came across is this, gum removal specialist. How do you like that? Americans chew $3 billion worth of gum a year, while some properly throw away gum in its rapture, others don't. We know that, right? Hopefully you have not sinned that way. No, just joking. Uh, someone has to clean up the mess. Well, there's a company called Gum Busters that are tasked to remo removing gum from city streets and walls and under the tables, right, with special machines that use little water and they, quote-unquote, say, elbow grease. So there you go, gum removal specialists. Another job I saw there uh, listed was traffic zebra. In Bolivia, people don't take kindly to cops, so they hire people dressed up in zebra costumes to direct traffic because, I quote, it's hard to say no to a zebra. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> There's another one you guys probably know. This is people pusher. In Japan, oshias are train pushers that make a living by packing as many commuters into train cars as they, they can during rush hour with white gloves. And I've seen them in our travels in Japan. They push the people in so more people can fit before the doors close. How do you like that? You get to be a push, pe you know, push people around, yeah. How do you like that job? I like this one. There's another interesting opportunities if you ever lose your job, is the ice cream tester. Oh, that's a good one, right? I read of this man, John Harrison, who was a taste tester for Dryer's ice cream. Now, he would sample 60 different flavors a day. Wow, looking for balance, flavor. They say his taste buds were so fine-tuned, he could taste the difference between 12% and 11.5% butterfat in a product. Amazing. His taste buds were actually insured for $1 million. Hey, after church, I'm going to go into training. I'm going to Foodland, going to buy that dryers right now. Another one is a professional bridesmaid. Need a stand-in at the last minute? Maybe your bridesmaid got sick or flaked out? Well, call bridesmaid for hire. Imagine that. They can also be your personal assistant to help plan your wedding. Another one I found was the 
uh, older judge. <laughs> Hygiene companies hire older judges to see whether or not soap, shampoos, deodorant, antiperspirants, mouthwash are effective on the human body. <laughs> I just <laughs> was thinking uh, when I read this, I thought, wow, do they like smell armpits or something like that? That'd be crazy. They judge on a scale of one to 10. One is heavenly, 10 is carry on, which means decaying flesh of dead animals. Crazy. One more here, but I think this is the best one ever. Water slide tester. Yes, that's right. You are hired to go around various resorts and water parks in the world to test the new water slides and for safety and how fun it is. Now, wouldn't that be a great job? They say this job runs six months out of the year and pays $34,000 annually. <laughs> Crazy water slide tester. That's a cool one. Well, losing your job may be a problem that actually opens up some new opportunities you never thought could be possible if that didn't happen to you. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, taking the bad and making it good, right? It's like how it's been said, when life gives you lemons, what? Make lemonade, right? It's, it's been said in that way. Well, you guys, as we continue our study here in the book of Corinthians, Paul begins to close out this letter to the Corinthian believers with some final thoughts. And here we find how God turns difficulty into opportunity. And that's the title of our message, basically. Turn problems into opportunities. Turn problems into opportunities. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 16 from verse 1 through 12 this morning. Verse 1 through 12. Last time we, we finished up chapter 15. Now we're going to cross over to chapter 16, 1 through 12. Now our outline is this. So basically turn problem, problems into opportunities. Well, how you do that? This is our outline. Number one, give help. Number two, go serve. And number three, grow up. So we're going to be covering those things here in our passage. So let's begin here. Turn problems into opportunities. Number one, how? Give help. Give help. And that's our heading. Give help. Take a look with me here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. It reads, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Now, we begin here with this word, now. Paul here transitions to the conclusion of this letter to the Corinthian church. Paul's wrapping up things here in this last chapter. And at first here, he brings up this issue, verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints. The saints is another word for the Christians. And he's talking about the Christians in Jerusalem. We'll see that in verse 3. He's talking about the Jerusalem church. They've been hit pretty hard. They're, the, the economy there is pretty bad. And the church itself is hurting because of this severe famine that had taken place in that area. Now, Paul mentions here that he has already given orders, or probably a better word is instruction or direction, to the churches in the area of Galatia to also take up this collection. We know that he also did in Scripture, tells us Macedonia area and some other areas to take up this collection to bring over to the Jerusalem Christians, the Jerusalem church to help them out. 
So now, as we come into chapter 16, Paul is also, also asking the Corinthian church to take up a collection for the Jerusalem church. Now, I want you to take note here. The word collection here in the original language means this extra contribution. It's an extra collection of funds. This is a maybe what we would say today, a special collection, a special con contribution. It's a special collection of funds to help this Jerusalem church. Now, this was in addition to the regular giving. Today, we call it our tithes and offerings. But understand now, as we go through this section here, this special collection is to be given in the same manner, in the same way, and with the same heart as you do in your regular giving, but the same thing with this special collection. So Paul puts that idea out, and look at verse 2. He says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there will be no collections when I come. Right here in verse 2, we're going to see four things that Paul lays out here in the manner of their giving of this collection, which is really the same way as the regular offering, the, the, the usual way they give. And here's the first thing we see here. Number one is give worshipfully. Give worshipfully. Notice here, verse 3, he says, on the first day of the week. What's that first day? Well, it's Sunday. That's what he's talking about. Sunday was the day that the early Christians met for worship. It was the same day that Jesus rose again. It was the same day that Jesus first met with the disciples after his resurrection. And later, John in Revelation 1 actually calls it the Lord's Day. So, this is Sunday, and the, that Paul is talking about the first day of the week. And that's why we meet here on Sunday, even. That's why traditionally the churches meet on Sunday morning. So here's Paul. He's saying, just like the usual way of giving, let this special collection be part of the act of worship when you go to church. That's why it's the first day of the week. Hey, you know, guys, when you meet together, when you begin to worship, you, you know, just like what you do with the regular offering, you know, give that to the special collection also. This is an act of worship when you go to the church. 1 Peter 2.5 in the second part, it says, to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. One part of that special or that spiritual sacrifice is in our giving of funds. So number one here, Paul's saying, just as he mentioned, the first day of the week, when's that? Well, that's when they worship. That's Sunday when they get together, give worshipfully. Well, number two, he says, give regularly. Give regularly. Now, take a look here. It says, on the first day of the week. The New King James Version, which I'm reading out of, it says, the week. But you know, the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says it better. It, it renders it better. It says, on the first day of every week, of every week, bring what, what you have laid aside. So the idea really is, is every week, regularly come and give to this special collection. Every week we are to give in our regular giving. That's why it's regular, right? So give regularly. So Paul's saying, just like the usual giving, believers are to put aside some funds for the special collection to be given every Sunday. Every Sunday, give regularly. I like something uh, John MacArthur, how he put it. 
He said, our giving should not be based on periodic emotional appeals or feelings or on bonus income, but on regular, willing, and grateful commitment of our possessions to the Lord, to His people, and to His work. I love that. It's not based on some periodic emotional appeal. Oh, yeah, making me feel like giving this way, and, you, and then you don't give. No, it, it, he said, it's, or uh, he said it's not based on bonus income. Whoa, oh, I got a bonus today, and now I'm going to give to the Lord. No, it's not what that's about. You know, Paul is saying give regularly, but on regular will, willful and grateful commitment in your giving. Number three, the third thing that Paul says is give individually. Give individually. Notice it says on the first day of the week, let each one each one of you right each one of you notice that he says that lay something aside it's not just for the rich it's not just for the poor it's anyone who has income was to to give was to bless god and with this special collection they were to bless the jerusalem christians they are to give help each one of you so paul's saying just like the usual giving each believer gives to this special collection. You know, I was thinking about this when um, our kids were small. Uh, you know, they would go in, you know, quote unquote, go in with me to get this present for Kristen, my wife, right? I mean, they didn't have money. They were little kids. You know, it's like, no, you can't, you know, give this present. Go get a job. Too bad, you know. No, they would go in with me to do that. When they got older, they would get their own present. But sometimes they would go in, you know, with me, and we would pull our money together to get something more expensive, you know, for uh, my wife for her birthday present. But understand, there's no going in with our giving to God. It's not like some family plan here. It's an individual responsibility. You can't say, no, uh, yeah, no, you can't say, hey, my dad gave, so I don't have to. Yeah, my dad gave to the Lord, so, you know, we gave at the office kind of thing. No, we are to give individually. So we see here, just in this verse, we see, number one, give worshipfully. Number two, give regularly. Number three, give individually. And number four, give proportionately. Give proportionately. Notice here, Paul be, says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Now, you know, put it aside. Make sure it's, 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 it's marked for that. Then he says, storing up. Now, that tells us this. When he says storing up, this, this is not so much storing up at home and then you give it. Uh, but the idea is to, to give it to the church where they would store it up, where they would collect it and hold it till Paul comes. So when Paul comes, he says at the end of this verse, there's no com collection that needs to be made. It's, it would already be done, and Paul could just take it or give it to the appropriate people to bring to Jerusalem. So that's storing up. But then he says this, storing up, as he may prosper. What does that mean? Well, it means that you give according to your income. You give according to your income. That's the idea when he says, as, as he may prosper. Here's what Paul's, the idea Paul's trying to put out is this. The poor should not be required to give the same amount as someone who has more money, who's rich or wealthy, as according to his income. That's the idea. You give according to your income. So just like the usual giving, right? Believers are to give relative to their income into this special 
collection, right? They, according to, uh, uh, not the only card, but according to how much you making, you are to give into their this special collection. You know, I was thinking about one time, uh, you know, Fabian Mona from All Things Possible Ministry and all, um, we, were, we were having, uh, I forget, a meal somewhere on off of Oahu or when they were visiting here on the island. And I, I, I remember we were talking about, oh, why don't you do this or buy this? And then Mona, like, put her hand, you know, next to her mouth and Fabe was here and, 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 and she goes, Pake, right? You know, so, so uh, and, 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 okay, I said it, but, you know, I, it, Paul's saying that basically, yeah, not to be Pake, right? I mean, um, you know, don't be that way. Hey, give proportionately in that way. It's been said it's one thing to give out of your riches and another thing to give according to your riches. The idea is if a rich man gave $1, he gave out of his riches. But if this rich man gave $10,000, then he gave according to his riches. So you see, when Paul says give proportionately uh, uh, according to your income, give that way, Paul's basically saying don't skimp on the special collection. Be generous, yeah, with whatever you have. Now, with this, I know this brings up a question. Well, how much is the right proportion? I mean, when we give regularly, we're to give proportionately, just like with this special collection, but how much is the right proportion? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about our regular giving? Okay, many preach now, right? The many say God wants to give, what God wants you to give a 10% tithe. But let me tell you, in the New Testament, did you know Paul never used that word tithe? He never used that word. He never did. You see, the word tithe comes from the Old Testament. The word tithe means tenth, or we would say 10%. And so God used that term for Israel to give in their offerings, to give uh, to back to God what the Lord had blessed them with. God had Israel give a Levitical tithe. That's what it's called. Ten percent was to be given to support the ministry, the priests and, and their lives and everything going on there. But that wasn't the only tithe. There was also the festival tithe which was to fund the Jewish feasts and celebrations, the annual ones that they did that we study so much. There was also another tithe. There was the poor tithe, which was given every three years. So you can imagine maybe yearly we contribute out to, you know, what, uh, 33% there, you know, of that. So if you kind of uh, put it all together, that's, what, about 23 0.3333%, right? If you want to really be uh, accurate there, there's probably more trees. There was also another thing that the Lord had required for them to give, and that was a prophet and temple tax. And that was about 2% per year. Now think about this. This was what God required the Israelites to give. If you add it all up, it's come out to be what? Close to or a little above 25% here, right? So around that amount, but that wasn't it. On top of it all, there was a free will offering. That means 
there's certain times of year, you know, and, and, and times or any time, really, you can give whatever you feel like on top of that. So in the Old Testament, it was about giving more like 25% plus, yeah, no, you know, 25% more. If you really want to get technical about what the Bible says, this is what the Old Testament requirement of giving was about, 25% plus. Well then, okay, Pastor Rake, all right, what does the New Testament say? What, what does the New Testament say, like after the cross of Christ? What, what, what is the percentage now? What are we to give? Well, let me tell you, there is no percentage. In the New Testament, what we find and what we read and study about giving, it's more about the heart. It's more about what's inside and what you want to give. I mean, we've already seen here, right? What is Paul saying about the special collection, which is just like the regular offering? Give, number one, worshipfully. Whatever you give, let it be worship to the Lord. Give, number two, regularly. Let it be a regular amount that you give or, or give in a regular way every week. We saw Paul saying give individually, that each person is to give. And number four was what? Proportionately. Give proportionately. Don't skip. Don't be generous about that. But let me give you something else that the New Testament tells us. We are also to give sacrificially. Jesus talked about that, like the poor widow in Luke 21 who gave all she had, her two mites, right? And those two mites were equal, one mite was like an eighth of a cent. I mean, that's all she had. She gave her all. She gave sacrificially. So we are to do the same thing. And then let me add one more thing the New Testament says, and that we are to give cheerfully. We are to give cheerfully. In other words, we are to be happy about what we give. We are to give, really, whatever amount is on your heart. Take a look. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll see this in a moment for a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, if you can't find it, 2 Corinthians is right after 1 Corinthians. Just, just to make sure. Those of you, you with your tablets or phones, I know. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 7. Paul writes here, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's talking about this here in our regular offering, that we are to each, each one give as he purposes in his heart. Purpose means predetermined. Purpose means what we regularly do, proportionately what we give. And then not grudgingly. You know what that is, right? Yeah, right? Your kids tell you that, grudgingly. Do I have to? Do I really have to? Right? That's, that's grudgingly. Then Paul adds, or of necessity. That means pressured. Yeah? You ever felt pressured? You ever felt someone on the TV saying, you better give and you got to give or God's not going to bless you? That's pressuring. Yeah. Paul says, don't give out of being pressured. But you know what God loves? God, for God loves a cheerful giver. One who is happy to give. One who's giving from their heart. So you see here, what we find in the New Testament is not a percentage, but it's about a heart to give. 
It's just giving from your heart. Giving what you want to. Giving how you want to bless the Lord. Giving when you, you want to give back to the Lord. You know, a little bit of all that He has given you. So you still may be thinking, well, well, well wait, 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 Pastor Rick. Okay, I'll give from my heart. And I understand that. But, but how much then? Well, I would say, whatever you want. No, that's not helping me, right? Sometimes that doesn't help. Well, whatever is in your heart, what, what, what do you mean? Okay, if you're still not sure, start at 10% then. That's okay. You know, if that's what you want to give from your heart, if that's a, a place for you to maybe mark or, or help you to figure out and calculate, then start at 10%. And I say start because don't limit what you give from a, with a certain percentage. Maybe you can't. That's okay. Give 1% then. Whatever's in your heart, that, that's what it's about. That's what God is talking about and in our regular giving. So, coming back to our passage, you can go back to 1 Corinthians 16. If you look at this, Paul is basically saying, hey, give proportionately to this special collection. Don't skip. Be generous, however amount that is. But do it according to, hey, you know, where you make, what you make, and all. Don't skimp. I was thinking about how this evangelist and pastor in the 1700s, his name was John Wesley. Now, it is recorded in his book, his first year. Now, you got to remember, this is back in the 1700s, and it's translated in this way. But in his first year of ministry, he made $30 a year. His living expenses was $28. So you know what? He gave $2 to the Lord. That's 2.7%. Was he in sin because he didn't give 10%? No, that, that's what he gave. That, that's what was on his heart. In 1732, he made $60 that year, and he gave $32, which is 53%. You know why? Because he's he just stayed at his living expenses at $28. And so he just gave the rest to the Lord. In 1733, he made $90 that year, and he gave $62, which is 69% of his income. In 1734, he made $120 that year, and he gave $92. 77% he gave to the Lord. That was on his heart. That's what he wanted to do. Later in his life, he was making like $1,400 a year. And you know what? He stuck to his $28 a year living expenses, so he gave $1,372 to the Lord. That's 98% of his income that he gave. Was that wrong? No, that was on his heart. That's what he wanted to do. He stayed living on 28%, and he gave the rest. That was his proportion. So Paul saying, hey, just give proportionally. Just just give. Go ahead. He he did way above his proportion. All right, let's go on here. So they are to take up this special collection. And Paul goes on to write in verse 3. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Verse 4. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So when Paul arrives, he'll take that collection he'll write some letters of approval for any trusted messengers the corinthian believers choose to bring this gift to jerusalem and then paul says in verse four basically you know if it works out if it's fitting if it works out for me i'm gonna go with them 
interesting. Paul's not the one himself that's going to take it, but he wants like a delegation, you know, from the Corinthian church to take it. Sort of like representing the church to give it as this gift to the people, the Christians there in Jerusalem. But even more than that, Paul wants to make sure there was accountability and concern to be above reproach with the funds. I like Paul's heart. It wasn't just him taking the money. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah. No, he wanted to make sure there's others involved so there's accountability here, you know, so that when the collection gets there, it's all there. And that everything's done above reproach. No one can accuse him. It's like in our church, the handling of funds and stuff. It's not me. I don't even want to look at it. We have accounting. We have other guys who, who, who count the offering there at, on every Sunday. This is Paul's heart. I like how in Philippians 2.15 he said, So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. That's Paul's heart, to live above reproach. All right, in this section, in these first four verses, all this is, all this is to say, Give help to the church in Jerusalem, and you will in turn, uh, you, you will turn, excuse me, their problem into an opportunity to receive blessing. You see that? Give help to the church in Jerusalem, and you will turn their problem into an opportunity to receive blessing. By giving that help, by giving, you know what's going to happen is that's going to turn a blessing, yeah, turn into a blessing, that problem they have, which is their lack of funds. Years ago, I remember out of the blue, out of the blue, I received a check in the mail from my mother who sent us some money. And I'll tell you, it was perfect timing. It was, it was one of those God things that he does right when you need it, you know, car repairs, need to pay off some things. It was a miracle to me. I remember talking to my mother about it afterwards, and, and, I, and, and you know, in my mind, it was like, hey, you know, God is using you. You're, you're an instrument of blessing here. And, and I thought about this. You take a step back and think about this. The, the problem set up an opportunity, right, not just for my mother to give, but also for us to receive this blessing and see God work through this problem. God wants to use you. God wants to use me as an instrument of blessing. Perhaps what you give, what you can do, as you give help, it could, it could be that you're the answer to another person's prayer. It could be that problem you see can be an opportunity even for you to give help. You know, the best thing to do is, is, is do that, to pray. God, would you like me to help out here? Would you like me to give help? I mean, so don't just sit there and be critical. You know, oh, yeah, look at them. Oh, look what they're going through. Yeah, because of this and that. No, make use of that opportunity to give help. And like here, what's going on with the Corinthian church and Jerusalem church, as they give help, they in turn, they, they turn the problem into an opportunity to receive blessing. All right, let's go on to number two here now, is go serve. Go serve. 
turn problems into opportunities. We have number one, give help, and now number two, go serve. First Corinthians 16, look at verse 5. Now I come to you and I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, or I am planning on passing through Macedonia. Verse 6, and it may be that I will remain or even spend a winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. Now here, Paul is talking about his plans to come, and he's in Ephesus here. This is where he's writing the letter, to his plans to come to Corinth and see everyone there in the church. And he says that he will come when or after he passes through Macedonia. That means after stopping in Macedonia, at least that was his plan and the idea. And he says here, if it all works out, Paul will remain even spending the winter in Corinth, then go on in his journey wherever that may be, wherever he may go. And I'm thinking that it may be Jerusalem. If it works out, he'll go with the guys bringing the gift to Jerusalem. Now, I like this because with what he just wrote about in chapter 15, Remember, it was about the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, it was about the believer's resurrection, the hope we have. It was, it was with that in mind that one day we would be in glory with our glorified bodies. And with all that in mind, you can see why Paul, all, having that in his heart, was always on the go, always thinking about what's next, always what about what he is to do next because he knew this life is short. And he wanted to make the most of it. So we see here, Paul was already planning his steps to go serve the Lord. Paul was already planning his steps to go serve the Lord. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, this is the NLT, says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I love that. I love Paul's heart. He's always making these plans. He's always thinking of ahead. Well, how can I minister? What is the next step here? How can I go serve somewhere? Are you today making the most of your life? What's your plan? What is it? Well, I think I'll go serve at that church. No, that's not what I'm saying. I might do that. But, uh, but you, you know, what is the biggest goals? You know, what, is, what are you thinking about? You know, what, what do now? Is it about how can I serve the Lord? What, how can I best make the most of the opportunity God has given here in the years or so that I have left here on this earth before I go home to heaven? I think even more so as I've been talking about, we see so much stuff going on in the Middle East and in this world. Hey, Jesus is coming back soon. Shouldn't we now be making the most of the opportunity that God has given us in this life right now? Right now, whatever that means. All right, verse 7, Paul says, For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. I love that. So Paul's like, if there's anything that he does, does want is to not just pass through, not just on his way, just, hey, hi, you know, wave and, and then go on uh, his way to Jerusalem, wherever that is. But he hopes to stay alive, to spend some time serving and discipling the church there. Yet all of that is, as he says at the end of verse 7, if the Lord permits. Ultimately, it is up to the Lord if these plans come to pass. 
I like this. Paul, Paul is ready for whatever and wherever God ends up leading him to go serve. He'll make his plans, but he's leaving it up to the Lord to really come to pass. So that's like Proverbs 16, 9. It's one of my favorite ones. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So you know what we see here? Paul makes his plans, but he is flexible enough to change them if they are not God's plans. I'll say this again. Paul makes his plans, but he's flexible enough to change them if they are not God's plans. That's the way we should be, right? That's the way we should operate in our life here. I remember uh, Pastor Chuck used to always say, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, blessed are the flexi flexible, for they shall not be broken. Paul is that. Paul may, it makes his plans, but he's flexible enough to change them if they are not God's plans. How about you? How about you? When you make your plans, are, 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 are you like so stuck to them? Yeah. That you're not flexible. If God comes in, no, I'm going to do something. No, no. Yeah. That you're so ju just stuck there. Yeah. We got to be like Paul here, flexible enough to change if, if that's not what God wants. But let me tell you, that means we better be listening, right? That's, that means we better be open to God if we like change them, right? And who else knows better anyway? But God, do we think our, we know our plans are better than God's? No. And sometimes, yeah, God gives us plans and we're in a direction and He may reroute us for whatever reason. But we need to trust Him in His changes, right? I mean, the wise Creator knows better than you. He knows better than me. So we make our plans, but we're flexible enough to change. We're submitted to the Lord. There's an old hymn that, that really speaks about that, our submission to God saying like this, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. That's our place, really. Is your problem maybe even today that there's busted plans maybe you have plans but they're not working out well guess what that's an opportunity to find out well what is god's plan then yeah what does he have it's an opportunity to find god's better plan verse 8 so he says but i will tarry in ephesus until pentecost for a great and effective door is open to me and there are many adversaries but there's one thing Paul does know that he will tarry or he'll stay in Ephesus a little longer. That's where he's at, right? And he says he'll stay until Pentecost, that Jewish harvest festival. Why is that? Because there's a great and effective door that has opened to him. A great opportunity is open to Paul to preach the gospel. And people are coming to Jesus. There's a revival going on. Churches are being planted. People are yearning to know the Lord more. Discipleship opportunities have opened up. So Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm going to stay for a little while. I know that for sure right now. There was still great work to do in Ephesus. And you know what? Paul was not one to leave a job half undone. 
That's not Paul. He finishes what he starts. He finishes what God wants him to finish. You know, when it did come time for Paul to leave Ephesus, when it came time for Paul to say goodbye to the Ephesian elders there in Acts chapter 20, you know what, 2027, you know what he told them? He said, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I love that. Paul, he's, he's going to complete his job. And, and really, I love that verse anyway, because that, that's, my, that, that's my goal, that I would be able to, to, together with you, study the whole word of God. You know, we're almost done here. We have, in the New Testament, we have Second Corinthians after this, and, and then Hebrews, and the Old Testament. We have maybe four or five more books. And Paul, and I could say with Paul, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It took a while, though, whatever, 14 years or so. But we've been studying the Word, right? So here's Paul. Yet, we see something here at the end of verse 9. He says, and there are many adversaries. With this great and effective door came many adversaries, much opposition from the, from the Jews themselves, from idol worshipers, from occult leaders, from the city leaders even we know in, in the story in the book of Acts. We see that there are many adversaries, but behind it all, who's that? It's Satan, right? Influence, his influence trying to stop the work that God is doing. So here's what we see. When you go serve and God does a great work, the enemy is right there trying to tear it down. We understand that, right? When you go serve and God does a great work, the enemy comes to try and tear it down. You know, I think about how many people have come up to me after they first make this commitment to serve the Lord. They're, they're, they're going to come help, you know, set up or stay and tear down. Or, or they're going to help out in this ministry. Or they're going to serve in this way. And they step out making that commitment. How many times have they come up to me? And I'll say, oh, Pastor Ray, all of a sudden there's all these problems in my life. There's problems at work, and we're, we're having more arguments at home, and the kid, things are just going haywire. Like uh, one pastor friend of mine shared how one couple came up to him in this way, and they told him as soon as they signed up to serve in the KC church, both of their cars just went by, broke down. Right? There's just all kinds of things that happen when we try and step out and serve the Lord. Why does that happen? Because the enemy wants you to reconsider your decision and make you quit. That's why. Why? Because he wants to stop the wonderful work of God in the church and in your life. He wants to steal away the blessing. Paul's saying here, when you go serve and God does a great work, the enemy's right there trying to tear it down. G. Campbell Morgan said, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. <laughs> I like that one. Right? I mean, we look at it another way. We talk about, right? Well, if Satan comes against what you're doing in your serving, must be doing something right. Yeah? Right? Because he don't like that. Right? But let me tell you, did that stop Paul? No. He's staying right there. God opened this door. He, God's doing this great work. So even in the opposition, Paul saw God's opportunity. Let me put it this way. 
Paul saw the opposition as God's opportunity, right? He saw it as an opportunity to see God's power, to experience God move and use him. Maybe you've come in here this morning and you're facing a lot of opposition. Maybe lately you've been really discouraged and, and just, you don't know, it's just been so hard. And yeah, maybe there are attacks. Maybe there's some things going on. Maybe, maybe, maybe some stuff that, that is just weighing on you and you feel so overwhelmed like you can't get out of it. But let me tell you, in those situations, you will find God in the midst of it. Yeah. Problems is the opportunity to really find God. Problems is the opportunity to pray and see the Lord work through it. See the Lord answer prayer. And even in a greater way that you would never have dreamed like it would happen. Let me tell you about this Scottish minister named Samuel Rutherford. In the 1600s, he was here serving the Lord. He was a minister. And then he was in prison for his faith and his beliefs. There he, he, he suffered. There he lost the use of his hands. He was separated from his family. And then one night in his little dirty prison cell, the wind came in and blew out the only candle he could see by. But it was in that darkness that when he encountered God, when he was stripped of that precious candle, that he experienced God like never before. Let me read you what he wrote. He, 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 he wrote about this in this way. He said, If God had told me some time ago that he was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world, and then had told me that he should begin by crippling me in my arm or limb, and removing me from all my usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing his purpose. And yet, Rutherford writes, how is his wisdom manifest even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out all his lamps and then throwing open the shutter to let in the light of heaven. I love that. I read this many years ago and it really moved, moved on my heart to understand yeah, that sometimes we, we try and find comfort or solutions in these things we see, but it's in God. I was reading this morning in devotional that what jumped out at me and I bolded was this, God is the goal. God is the goal. So you see, the problem can be an opportunity to find God himself and experience him. All right, well, let's go to number three quickly as we're running out of time here. Number three is grow up, grow up. We've seen give help. Seen number two, go serve and turn problems into opportunities. How the last thing here is grow up. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. And it says, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. 
So Paul here is letting the Corinthian believers know that he's sending Timothy. Remember, Timothy was his assistant, his disciple, his protege there. And then Paul says, but you know what? When he comes, you know, may it not be in fear. The idea here is may he not be concerned that the Corinthians would not welcome him. That, so Paul says in, in verse 11, that's the idea. Therefore, let no one despise him, like treat him poorly so that when he leaves he can go in peace like oh things are okay and he could report back to paul when he goes to see him so paul's basically saying respect timothy for you know he does what i do yeah he does the work of the lord verse 10 and as i do also he's a leader also so respect timothy for he does what i do and he's a leader also welcome timothy with respect and honor that's what paul's saying here why is there concern with Paul? Why is there concern that the Corinthian church would not welcome Timothy and respect and honor him for Timothy for who he is? Why is that? Well, if you remember, what have we studied here in this book, right? This Paul had to write this letter and wrote to this church because they're so carnal. They're so worldly. They're prideful, right? They were selfish. They didn't really care about each other. There's divisions going on all around. They're divisive, right? They, they, they didn't really have that caring, honoring attitude. It was all about them. So Paul has this concern that they might receive, not recite, receive Timothy, that they might treat him, that Timothy would go in fear. You know, uh, uh, another way you can translate the word fear is intimidate. That they'd be totally intimidating on Timothy like, oh, well, who's that guy? You know, that's not Paul. Where's Paul? You know, ah, I'm not going to respect or honor you. So Paul's like, hey, come on, be mature in your hospitality when Timothy comes. Respect him. Welcome him with honor. Then he says in verse 12, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Next he mentions Apollos, about Apollos coming. Remember, he was a great preacher back in that time we read in Acts and studied there. And, and so here it seems like the Corinthian church was asking about Apollos. How about him? Is he going to come? So Paul informs him that he had strongly urged Apollos to come. Like, hey, Apollos, you really got to go with Timothy. Go with him and visit the church over there. But Apollos was unwilling to go. Perhaps he felt like, hey, this is not the time. You know, I don't feel the Lord's leading here. If the Lord permits here, but I don't feel it. And, and, and so Paul says, you know, he's going to go in when there's a convenient time or when there's a better opportunity for him to go. So he's mentioning all this. So even though Paul had wanted him to go, Paul's mentioning this, that, that, that they also respect Apollos in his decision to wait and go another time, just as Paul had. So even though Paul wanted him to go, Paul himself respected Apollos' decision to wait and go another time. Now, John Phillips in his commentary brought up this interesting idea. He wrote, Apollos felt very keenly that his name had been abused by some of the Corinthians. He wanted no part of that party spirit in Corinth which was using his name. 
you remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, I thought, wow, what an interesting connection here. That, that remember, these Corinthians were carnal. They're making cliques, right? Oh, no, you know, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos, right? The beginning of Corinthians. So it could be Philip's bring this idea that, oh, Apollos didn't want to go in and be part of all the carnality going in there. So maybe Apollos was waiting for them to grow up a little. Maybe he wanted this letter to go first and them to meditate and learn from it first. All right, well, our last point is this. We see that when Timothy comes or when Apollos, Apollos does, it's time to take that opportunity to grow up and give a godly welcome. This is what Paul is really putting out here. When Timothy comes or when Apollos does, it's time for the Corinthians to take that opportunity to grow up and give a godly welcome. It's like, you know, Paul is like preparing them, you know. Hey, when these guys come, when Timothy comes, come on, grow up a little, yeah. Welcome them. Honor them. Don't be carnal. Don't be worldly in this manner. I remember sometimes Chris and I would prepare the kids when they were small, like something like, okay, we're going into this restaurant, yeah. No running around. Sit quietly in your chair. Color the paper. They, they give your coloring sheet. No fights. No make loud noises here, okay? This is in the car before you walked into the restaurant, you know? Or even sometimes, you know, you go to visit, yeah, some, you go to someone's house. Okay, you inspect their property there, yeah? No jumping up and down on the sofa, you know, kind of like that. No pulling the cat's tail, right? No shouting, you know? No wildness, right? And we, we would try and prepare them. This is like Paul here. Did it work? No. But hey, it's the thought that counts, right? Right, parents? No, just joking. Sometimes it did. Sometimes we had the victory, you know. But here's Paul, too, trying here. Here's Paul putting this out, saying Paul is preparing the Corinthian believers to do what this letter has been all about, to not be spiritually immature anymore. That when these guys come, it's time to take the opportunity to grow up. Give that godly welcome. Where are you today spiritually? Let me ask you this question. Where are we? May, we're five months into the year. Have you grown spiritually this year? Have you grown? Are you still struggling with the same things that God spoke to you about? Have you been struggling with the same things that maybe He spoke to you about 10 years ago? It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to take the Word and apply it. It's time to let the Holy Spirit transform you into what God has purposed in you to be. Perhaps you're in a situation right now. It could be that maybe God has allowed some things in your life to help you to grow up. Yeah? A lot of times we go through trials and problems and it's because God is what? Growing us through it, right? So rather than fighting it, we accept it and we grow through it. It's like I said Wednesday night. It's not, the question isn't, how can I get out of this? But it's, what can I get out of this? Are you growing? Are you taking the opportunity now to grow up? After taking church, little Joshua asked the father, Dad, can I ask you something? 
Sure, replied the dad. Well, the teacher read the Bible on how the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. The children of Israel got the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel took the Promised Land. The children of Israel built the temple. The children of Israel made sacrifices to God. So what's your question, asked the father. Little Joshua replied, well, didn't the grown-ups do anything? <laughs> I like that one. That's a good question to us. As spiritual grown-ups, shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't we be grown-ups? Are we doing anything with what God has given us? No matter how you came in today, God is presenting you with an opportunity to grow and know Him better. Listen, problems are not the end of you. It's not. It's really the opportunity to see what God will do to see what God is saying, to see God move and work in your life. It's the beginning of a new hope. R.T. Bennett said, turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into possibilities. I love that. So look at your problems in a whole new, different way. They're, they're no longer to be these, oh, man, oh, bombers, yeah. Oh, I hate this. That's what I do. <laughs> no. But let the problems be a place where they show you new opportunities. Listen to what Henry Ford said. Henry Ford said, problems only exist for solutions. I like that. Thomas Edison said, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Is that, is that your situation? Is that the problem? You feel like such a failure? You feel like I failed you, God? Well, now you know 10,000 ways that don't work, right? Get to what does work. Let today be a new beginning as God gives you the path out of your problem by taking the opportunity presented to you. Will you do that today? We can all start anew. Let me close with this. Thomas Edison, his manufacturing plant in New Jersey was heavily damaged by a fire one night in 1914. Losses were up to $1 million, which was a, a lot, right, in 1914. Not only was the equipment all burned, but records and documents of all his inventions and works were gone. The next morning, when Edison walked around the charred remains of his hopes and dreams, the 60-year-old inventor then said an amazing thing. He said, there is value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start anew. And that's what it is, guys. We can start anew today. We know it doesn't work. We, we, we know that, that, oh, there's a situation. We know there's, there's some hardship. But, you know, let's look to and begin to do what will work. And what is that? Jesus. Jesus finding it in him. And so that's how to turn problems into opportunities. Let's pray. Lord God, as we bow before you, we know that, God, that you are here right now and you've been speaking to each and every one of us. Lord, I know that this is your message to the church this morning. God, we happen to be in this passage, and, and we, we all happen to be here, and that's your appointment, Lord. That's your divine appointment that we would study, Lord, 
and see these verses in, with our own eyes, God, and hear you speak to us. So, Lord, we want to be able to turn problems into opportunities, but we need your help, God. But we see that, God, that you are there to help us. And the problems, the things that we face, the situations, they're not the end. But, Lord, in them, we find our hope. In them, we find answers. In them is the opportunity to find you, your wisdom, your direction, to hear your voice, to see your power and experience you in ways that we have never experienced before. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to, to, to not put you in a box, but to look outside of these problems, to look outside of our own strength and our own perceptions and our, our, our own logical thinking and, and, and our own resources, but look to you, our living, holy, awesome God, Lord, creator, sovereign, wise, knowing all things, ever-present, all-powerful, full of love and care for us, full of grace and mercy. Jesus died on the cross and you can forgive us and give us a second chance. Lord, may we look to you in that manner right now so that we can turn problems into opportunities. You know, as we have our heads bowed right now, and our eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Have you been struggling? Has it been hard? Are you facing oppositions and situations and problems that you're overwhelmed with? It's beyond you. But you want to turn the problem into opportunity. And, and you're not 100% sure how, but you know it's in God. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to call out to Him and have God touch you with your spirit to show you the way, to reassure you. If, if you're in that place and you want to reach out to God, put up your hand right now and call out to Him. Just put up your hand right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless everybody. God bless you in the middle. God bless you too. God bless you guys on the side. Anyone else? God bless you. Raise up your hand. Show the Lord, I need you. I want you. Show me. Lord God, I pray for these who have their, raised their hands up, God. I pray that you would speak to them as you have already. That, that, Lord, from this moment on, God, through the rest of this day, tomorrow morning, this week, whatever that is, that you would show them, God, Lord, the opportunities that you've given them. Give them the answer. Give them the wisdom. Give them the strength, God. Reveal yourself to them. Draw them closer to you. May they experience your power. Answer your, their prayers, Lord. May you move in a way, God, as we look to you, God. Lord, I pray for them right now. And Lord, I pray for anyone else here that needs to come back to you. Lord. I pray that you draw them in a new commitment to you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word in this time. Thank you for loving us here. In Jesus' name, amen.